Welcome to Church 213. We're so glad you're listening to our sermon series, The Road Called Discipline. This series will unpack how we can know God deeper and glorify Him wider through biblical exercises that lead to more disciplined disciples. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you have your copy of God's Word, I want you to go ahead and kind of open that right to the middle. Typically, when you open God's Word, you're going to be in Psalm. Now, we're not going to typically uh, land all of today in Psalm, but just in the habit of getting your mind fixed on the things of God, that's kind of where I want you to go. Pastor Dom already laid the foundation for us. We are just a few weeks left in our series called The Road Called Discipline. So we've been traveling that road now for the past few, um, few of the week, really since we kicked off January. And so we're going to wrap that up next week as we turn our eyes to Easter. God's given me a message for Easter. It's simply this. The night the king robbed the grave. That's what's on my heart, and that's all I got right now, but it's going to be good. I've been sitting on that, chewing on that all week. The night the king robbed the grave. And so I want you to go ahead and prepare yourself for Easter Sunday in a couple of ways. One, be here. Two, make the Resurrection Sunday a priority. Three, be a bringer. Sign up for, I sent all this in email to you. Jump on, bring something for our sunrise breakfast. Swing by the table before you leave. Get in on the, the, on the, on the prayer chain as we prepare our hearts church-wide. Grab a slot to prepare us as we move into Easter Sunday. A church that prays together has power together. Pick up a cardboard testimony. Is it out of your comfort zone? Maybe a little bit, but I'm telling you, you'll never regret proclaiming how you've been broken and then restored because of Jesus. So pick up one of those and begin to pray over the next couple of weeks what you would put on the front and back. You're like, what is a cardboard testimony? Just Google it. There's awesome testimonies on YouTube. You can see an example. We did that a couple of years ago. And also, last but not least, pick up a yard sign. Put that out today. and Let it ride in that yard and blow in the wind all the way to Easter. Let people know that you're redeemed. So now, we're going to roll right in to finishing this week. And we're going to wrap up next week what's called the road called Discipline. What we've said time and time again is this, very little happens vocationally, physically, and spiritually without some type of discipline. Us as Americans, we're not known as disciplined people. We're just not, okay? They were to call a draft, we'd be in trouble. But that happens spiritually because simply training ourselves, disciplining ourselves, doing something on purpose for purpose, and I hope the last 10 weeks have challenged you and I pray that it's changed your life as you've instituted some spiritual disciplines. Listen, it doesn't have to end next week, right? It's not a box to check. It's, it's a journey to take. And so those things that God has put on your heart over the last 10 weeks, continue to do those things. Lean into God's Word. Wrap it around you. Go and show. Fast. Pray. Worship. Give all the things that calls us to pursue God in, in, in righteousness and godliness. Don't stop now. We still got a long way to go until God calls us home. So it's not just a series. Okay, yes, I put it in a box, but it is something that you can institute forever. Amen? That was really weak. 
That's something we can do forever. Amen. That's a little better. That's a little better. Don't mean to get Natalie back up here. So what is the discipline for this week? The discipline for this week is simply not so much about what a believer is doing, but what a believer is not doing. And here's what I mean by that. The title of the message is Benefit of the Off Day. Benefit of the Off Day. If you're a gym rat or you know somebody that is or you're into exercise science, exercise science has proven that a break from an intense training is critical for your physical body. You can't continue just to go and go and go. If you're going to get the most out of your workout, and if you think about the way God has designed our bodies, our bodies thrive best when there's moments of time out. God has programmed our bodies to sleep. We have to sleep. And so if you think about it like that, when we don't get enough good REM sleep, what is the result? Sickness. You're weak. You're mentally fatigued. Your mind and your body. See, you think you can do more. If you think about it, you think you can do more and be stronger and go further by not stopping for six to eight hours a day. But the reality is the opposite is true. To keep going forward, you have to stop. God has programmed that into our bodies. And studies have shown that the most productive time in in an average work week is Tuesday mornings between 9 and noon. So, you know, if you're a manager, if you really try to chart things, that's when they're at their peak. So if you've got some heavy lifting to do, typically it's going to happen. You know, figure Monday, you're kind of thinking about the weekend, and then Wednesday is hump day, and then Thursdays it's almost Friday, and Friday, you know, it's Friday. So really, you're working, you're paying 40 hours for just 9 to 12. And I know, I know for me that, you know, that, that's, that's true a lot of times. You know, you, I'm, you're in your flow. And you're like, man, why am I so productive in that moment? Well, when you're rested, you can really be productive. But you know, if there's moments during the week that you miss sleep, you just drag in the next day. That may kind of linger. And that, 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 summed up, <laughs> that summed up my Tuesday from 9 to noon because usually when, when you know, the staff is full steam ahead, I was dragging a little bit, and here's why. Not only did the government rob me of sleep on Sunday, but at 3.07 a.m. on Monday, my dogs start barking. So I get up, and, and I look out the blind, and I typically think, okay, that they're barking at something in the woods because there's a tree line behind the house. But as I look out the window, there are headlights that I'm seeing that has just shined the light all in the backyard. I'm thinking, there's somebody in the driveway. It's 3.07 a.m. And so I get up, and so to get a better look at the driveway, I have to go into the bathroom, and because there's a big window by the tub that I can see the driveway, I can see where the cars are parked. So as I'm going in the, in the, in the bathroom, uh, Debbie, which I didn't know, had left a chair in there. So I trip over the chair and into the tub. So now I'm even you know, more awake than I was before the dog started barking. And I look out the window, and not only do I see lights, but I see blue lights. I'm like, there's, there's a deputy in the yard. And so at that point, I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm like, what is going on? So, so back out of the tub I go, back over the chair I go, through the living room, you know, into the bedroom, into the living room. And as I'm walking through, I hear this, doo, 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 on the door, ringing the doorbell profusely. And I look. It's the sheriff's department. 
beating on my door. Newton County Sheriff's Department opened up. I'm like, what in the world? And so, of course, I open up and I look scary. They look scary. We're all scary. I was asleep. And so I cracked the door open and I said, officer, is there a problem? Now, what you don't know is when they were looking into my house, the girls had built a fort. So every chair and stool we had was in the living room with sheets over it. They took the only TV we've got, and it's in the floor too because they were watching TV in the fort. It looked like squatters were living there. So here I am, not prepared to answer the door. Open it, and they look at me, and I'm saying, is there an issue? And they say, sir, do you live here? And I'm like, I know it looks like I don't live here. But yes, I promise the tax assessor says I live here. What's the problem? And he says, well, someone just called 911 saying that this is supposed to be a vacant resident, residence, and there's, there's lights on inside, there's cars in the driveway. And I could hear my name, my address, the description of my vehicles coming over their radio. Ryan Wyatt, 50 Reserve Drive, da 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 And I'm like, what is going on here? And then it hit me. I'm like, oh, no, they've got the wrong house. I said, that's my neighbor. His family just moved him out into a senior assisted living, and, and they're getting ready to, to, to sell the house. It's supposed to be vacant. And he says, well, there's a suspicious car in the drive. So at this point, I'm like, okay, I'm all in. What's going on? At this point, Debbie has joined me. So that we go through the house. Now we're watching the whole thing. Well, what happened was the family had hired someone local to clean out what was remaining that was left over from the estate sale. And he decides to do that at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Whoever called 911 gave them my address. How do you go back to sleep after that? You can't. So how productive was I Tuesday from 10 to noon? Zero. Zero. Here's the point. Just a little loss of rest affects how I work the next 36 hours. And our pursuit of the Lord in training for righteousness takes work. But in working out our faith, if you think about it in our human nature, that can actually work against us. Because if we don't add this one thing into the spiritual disciplines, and it's this, it's the spiritual discipline of retreat. Now, what is retreat? Retreat is simply this. It's defined as a withdrawal back to a quiet or secluded place. It's a, it's a withdrawal back to a quiet, secluded place. See, what makes you think that your body needs a day off to quiet the muscles and to rebuild, but your spiritual life doesn't need a temporary discipline of retreat? It does. And it's in times of quiet that what we realize is our spirit craves just being along with the Lord without distraction. And any pursuit of the Lord that neglects the discipline of spiritual treat, what is it going to lead to? It's going to lead to a shallowness, a shallow pursuit of godliness. Remember, this is a discipline, something you can add back in. The spiritual discipline of retreat. So take your Bibles and let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to start in verse number 1. So if you have your copy of God's Word and you're willing and able, let's stand together simply in reverence of the holy, inspired, 
inerrant, infallible word of truth. These are the words of life. These are the words of life. That's worth standing for. 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1. The spiritual discipline is retreat. So don't, don't get your mind around. 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1. It says, Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And Elijah became afraid. He immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. And suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, you get up and eat. And then he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and he drank and he lay down again. Verse 7 says, then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time. And touched him and he said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. And suddenly the word of the Lord, come on church, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. And he said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by. A great mighty wind was tearing the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out. He stood at the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? You guys can be seated. What are you doing here, Elijah? You ever ask somebody that? What, what are we doing here? What are you doing here? If you could sum up uh, 1 Kings 19, it would be this. God is too good to let the world keep you on the run from his promises. What we see right here is a man who gets his zeal for life back. What are you doing here? He gets his zeal for life back after spending time with God in a purposeful and private place of reflection. 
See, that's the situation that Elijah is in. Elijah was a prophet. Prophet just simply means messenger. And what was his message to send? He was to send declarations of God's judgment and expressions to the kings of Israel during the king of Ahab. Now, at this point in, in, in Israel's history, this is about 870s B.C. Okay, so this was a hall back there. But as we're just saying, he's always been good. He can't be anything else. And so absolutely everything we see still applies. It's true. So we can draw out like a deep wellspring of life. We can draw out some things that we can use. At this point in, in Israel's history, the nation is spiraling out of control. The nation has split in half. It was no longer that united monarch that you see in 1st and 2nd Samuel. Remember, they wanted a king. God said, I want to be your king. They said, we want a king. So God said, fine, here's Saul. Okay, see how that turned out. Then we have David who took Saul's place. He united the monarch. It grew. They expanded the rule and the reign of God. And then David died. And then Solomon comes in. We know the story of Solomon. Yes, he was wise. He made some terrible decisions because he abandoned the wisdom that he had proclaimed to the nation and to his sons. And the nation began to kind of spiral a little bit. And after Solomon died in 931, the unity was lost forever. See, stepping out on the Lord, well, that's going to happen. When you step out on the Lord, you're going to find yourself in a jam. You know, forbidden fruits make the best jams. This nation right here was in a jam. They were, they, were, they, were, they were in trouble. Here's what happened. The ten tribes of Israel, they made Solomon's son Jeroboam king. The tribes of Judah and Benjamin and the, and the Levites, the priest, they remained with his other son, Rehoboam. So the nation began to divide. And the northern ten tribes, they stayed up north and they were the nation of Israel. The other two tribes, along with the Levites, they went south and they were the tribe of Ju they were the nation of Judah. So if you look at the divided kingdom on a biblical map, you'll see, you'll see two different nations. There was God's people, but they were warring because they were, they were running from the things of God and they were beginning to just drift further and further and further apart, further away from God, and ultimately headed for destruction and captivity. That's what happens. When you stray from the word of God, destruction and captivity eventually. And so what happened in 722, the Assyrians came in and they captured those 10 tribes of the north. They destroyed them and they were off the map. They never returned. 586, the Babylonians came in. That's, why we, that's where we get Meshach, Shadrach, and Cadillac. We get all those names, right? That, that is that context. And they got those guys. They were Hebrews, but they renamed them. Okay, Daniel's in there. And they took them captivity in 586, but by the grace of God, they were allowed to come back, and we have the nation of Israel through God's promises now. But the story of Elijah, it sits in that moment of a divided kingdom. And so for seven decades, the kings of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And verse 33 says that King Ahab, which was king when Elijah was here, it's 1 Kings 19, said that King Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the other kings of Israel who were before him and to go even 
further. This was a wicked man. And Elijah's stand for the things of God, it put him at odds with Ahab, and it also put him at odds with Ahab's wife, Jezebel, who was a Phoenician who had no business bringing into the fold. And it caused all types of problems because she, she supported hundreds of false prophets of Baal. So you can only drift so long until chaos and destruction comes upon your house. But the faithfulness of God. Amen. Right, right in the middle of this backsliding spiritual battle for the soul of a nation between Ahab, Jezebel, and Elijah, we find a spiritual discipline that still applies to us in our pursuit of godliness. So if we're going to have the spiritual discipline of retreat, what do we take out of this? The first thing is this. This is a handle you can hold on to. A day off. One of the greatest benefits of the day off is that a retreat makes hearing the voice of God easier. Please write this stuff down so you can apply it because you may need it tomorrow. When the grind starts back, somebody's beating on your door. God, I need to hear your voice. I wish there was a message preached recently about how I can know your voice. Here it is. Look with me. Go back to the text. Verse 9. See, a day off makes hearing God's voice so much easier. Verse 9 says this. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left. See, when God asked him, what are you doing here? That really, did, He didn't give him the, 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 the right answer. He was just giving him a synopsis of what he was going through, but not why he was there. Verse 11 says, then he said, well, you go out. You stand on the mount in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by a great mighty wind, was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Are y'all with me? And after the wind, I mean, this was an intense thing. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice. A soft whisper. See, Elijah is not, he's not in a good place right here in his life. He's just not in a good place. I mean, at this point in his life, he was allowing the worries of the world to drive him to forget that the Lord was all around him. You ever been there? Man, those voices around you. He was buying the lie that he had witnessed the preeminence of God like he had seen the best of God. He had seen the best God could do. And he's not in a good place. He's looking around at the current situation and he's realizing something more intimidating than Ahab. And that was, that was Jezebel that was after him. You thought the man was hard to deal with. Wait till you meet his wife. You know any couples like that? Don't answer that. This was a dynamic duo and it had him on the run. This was serious because she had a track record of disposing 
God's people. The Lord's prophets. And he was afraid. See what this one represented. This woman represented how fast the world can drown out the goodness of God if you give that loud voice a place in your mind. Despite the fact that he had, he had just seen God do an absolute, miraculous, wonderful, powerful miracle right in his presence. Despite that, he's on the run. Despite what he had just seen God do, he's letting the voices of Jezebel, the fear of a, of a, of a woman, put him on the run. Look at verse Kings 18. This is what he had just come from. 18, starting in verse 36. At the time for offering, the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, today let it be known that you are the God in Israel, and I am your servant. And that at your word... I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Verse 38. Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offerings, the wood, the stone, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah ordered them, You seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let even one of them escape. What Elijah had just experienced, that, that, was, that God was a wet wood lighter. In, in chapter 18, he had just seen God do an amazing work, and yet, one chapter later, he's on the run. Man, is that not a... I've been there. How good God can be on a Sunday and then Monday after lunch you feel like, Lord, do you even know where I am? I just want to die. Sheriff's Department, open up. God was the wet wood lighter. But the shock of Jezebel's resistance after Mark Car Carmel, he, it led him to stop looking at life theologically and he started to slip back into his own understanding. Man, that is, that is us. And in fear... He ran from her. Now, it says that he was in Beersheba. That's way up in the north. And where he ran in, the, in, in 1 Kings 19 was 120 miles south. He got as far as he could from this woman. It took him six days to get there. You know what? For six days, he had a pity party. Every step, wallowing in how bad things were, how bad things looked, how bad she was, how he just couldn't go on. But even on the run, God knew where he was. Amen? Because you cannot outrun an all-powerful, all-knowing, immutable Father. And God is always waiting at the place where fear drives you. To God be the glory. God is always at the place where fear drives me. He's there. Look at verse 11. 19. Then... He said, he said because he was there. Fear had driven him there. He met him there. Then he said, you go out 
And you stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at the moment the Lord passed by, a great and mighty wind was tearing the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. God didn't speak in the wind. He didn't speak in the earthquake. He didn't speak in the the fire. It says that God spoke in a whisper. Now, we just saw in verse and in chapter 18 that God had shown himself faithful in some pretty spectacular ways. The fire from heaven licked up everything, consumed it all. It was a miraculous moment, like standing at a waterfall, Niagara Falls or something on you know, around here, and you look and you just see the majesty of God and you know that, that the goodness of God is crying out to you in splendor. But this was different. This, this was a quiet place. Because what we need to know is this spectacular isn't always how God meets us. Many times it's just in the quietness. It's in the stillness. Because he's, he's not to be found in the flash of the fire or the boons of the storms. It says he was found in a whisper. The Hebrew phrase for low whisper, I love it. It, it means, it translates thin silence. That's good. Thin silence. See, here's the thing about whispering. When you whisper, it's a personal thing, isn't it? It's personal because you've got to get really close. We've been trying to contact you regarding your cars. Extended warranty. <laughs> you, you, you lean in. And not only that, but, but you have to have their attention. You ever tried to whisper to somebody that doesn't want you to whisper to them? It takes two. It, it, they have to want to hear it. You guys write this down. God often reveals himself the clearest in quietness. Often... Often God reveals himself the clearest in quietness. Why? Because we're pulling close. He has our attention. We want him to lean into us and speak to us despite the noise around us. What, what do you typically do with your hands when you whisper? You, yeah, you, you cup your hands. Why? To drown out the distractions around you. And so, yes, there's spectacular things that God does all around us, but sometimes the clearest way that He talks to us is when He cups us from the distractions in a quiet place and He wants us to lean in so we can really hear it. And there are times as a Christ follower that we have to discipline ourselves for retreats, for the whispers. Why? So that we can eliminate the voices of the world in order to hear undistracted the voice of God. I want you to know that that alone time is not squandered time. Quiet time is not wasted time. It's for a purpose. Which means before you're a dad, before I'm a dad, before I'm an employee, before I'm a citizen, before I'm a coach, before you're a wife or a mom or a student, what, what are we? We're a fingerprint of the living God. 
thirst. And the scripture says that God whispered to Elijah in a cave, not on the internet, not on the ball field, not with the kids, not over a home of a washing machine, not the background radio noise or, or some social media notifications. No. How did God whisper and communicate to Elijah in the stillness of his life? That was it. I'm going to read Matthew 4, 1 to you. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. It's a quiet place. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by what? By himself. To pray well into the night. He was there alone, Matthew 14. Mark 135, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, he went out, he made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. You see what the Lord Jesus is doing? He's cupping his life to the whispers of the Father. Luke 4.42, when it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. You see what's going on? Everywhere Jesus went, he was in high demand, as he should have been. He was God in the flesh. He should have been in high demand. I think he ought to be more in high demand today, amen? He's not in high demand. Boy, we're in a mess. But here's the thing. You and I are in high demand too. We all have responsibilities. I was, I was challenged to change my vernacular. I no longer say that I'm busy. I say that my day was full. Because when you say busy, that gives the impression that you don't have time for people. And we always have time for people. And so, yes, I like, I like being, I like having full days. I don't like being rushed. And what I found is the way for me not to be rushed in my full day is to carve out some time to just sit and just to be and just to understand that I am before anything else, a fingerprint, the image bearer of the living God. We're in high demand. The difference is we are not God. And so, so we have to train ourselves to act like we don't think we are. But it's hard for us to do that because we want to go, 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 and, and do, and be, and do all these things. And, and, we, and we, think that, we think that we're doing life to the full. But listen, church, the reality is this. We're becoming more susceptible to worldly distractions that aren't interested in pursuing righteousness. So the more we do, the further we actually get away from what we should be doing. And before long, listen, the noise of life has drowned out the voice of God. And we just start going through the motions. We start letting life get to us. That's exactly where Elijah was. He let, he, he let life get to him, but Jesus didn't fall into the temptations. We just saw that. Why not? Because he knew the importance of disciplining himself in retreat. Are y'all with me? So that he could live the life that was to come, not just the one that's temporal here, which is what we've read week after week in 1 Timothy 4. We are to train ourselves in godliness because we know that the benefits are not just for this life, but also for the life to come. Jesus understood this was a temporary place that's going to make a movement to an eternal location. And so he disciplined 
himself. He set the example. Psalm 42, 7 says this. Deep calls to deep. Man, I love that. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. What he's saying is, when you sit in silence and you reflect on the deep things, you can get to deep places. Deep calls for deep. As, it wa- as, the, as the power and the majesty of God washes over him like waves and billows. And many of us need to, to realize that there, there's an addiction to noise that's all around us. I don't know if you realize this, but some people can't even function without noise. You have to have background noise. You've got to have something drowning out the silence in the car or in the house. Man, it's so easy to get trapped there. And we don't even know it. Because any dead fish can float downstream. But we're made alive. We're to look in the truths of God's Word and know the deep calls to the deep. And so we have to fight against the culture. Don't you think for a minute that this is a neutral being? This is not. Yes, technology is powerful. But there are dark forces working against us to keep us from the deep, calling on the deep. I picked up Emma from from theater yesterday. She's a part of the theater troupe up in the social social circle. And and I pull up. There's like 25 or 30 cars all parked, facing the building, waiting for the kids to come out. And so what do I do on Saturday? I think about Sunday. And so I'm kind of mulling over these things. And y'all, I want to practice what I preach. I really do. It's my heart. And so as I pull up in the truck, I turn it off. There's a second of silence. And you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to pick up my phone. And I stopped. And I looked down that row, 25, 30 now. And I couldn't see every parent, but I could see a majority of them. And almost everyone that I could see that was waiting, had that moment of silence and solitude, was looking at their phone. Now, maybe they needed to. I'm not saying you should never look at your phone. But I'm saying 100% of those people absolutely had to look at it in that moment. I don't think so. What I'm saying is, we have to fight against the current tide that's trying to rob us from calling on the deep. I'm there with you. And so the question that I had to ask myself sitting in my truck was, how, how well do I sit in silence? Man, not very well sometimes. How well do you sit in silence? Not very well. We're not used to it. Students, I want to challenge you. There are students all in here. You can turn your phone off for one hour. The world will not implode. And that goes for us too. We can turn it off. But I guarantee you, if you turn your phone off, you're going to face this anxiety. Like, oh no, I feel vulnerable and insecure. What if somebody needs to get in touch with me? They can wait. We have to fight against it. The convenience of sound has contributed to the spiritual shallowness of Western Christianity. And what happened is now we are so rarely away human voices. 
that we think we need those voices in our lives all the time. And the irony is this, that when we feel distractions fade away and we have that war of silence, we're confronted with a question of this. It, it, it haunts us, and it's, who are we really? Y'all write this down. The way not to cave to the fearful noise of the world is to retreat to the whisper of God. The way not to cave to the fearful noises of the world is to retreat for the whisper of God. We, as in American Christianity, are so good with pragmatism and efficiency that we think that downtime is wasted time. We think that doing nothing is a squandered opportunity. But I'm telling you, sitting in silence, staring out the window with no agenda for the deep that calls on the deep will give you peace that passes understanding if you know the Lord Jesus. So I challenge you this week, prepare yourself, discipline yourself, just sit there. And I guarantee you, you'll feel tension, the chaos of the silence, like, oh, it's right there. Why is that? Because we're not fighting against flesh and blood, church. Something that wants to rob our joy, keep us distracted, so we never quiet our hearts and we listen. And so we have to model the life of Jesus. We have to find a place daily to retreat in silence. The deep can call on the deep. Psalm 112, 7 and 8 says this. He will not fear bad news. His heart is confident, trusting in the Lord. His heart is assured. He will not fear. In the end, he will look in triumph over his foes. And so it's when we set the Lord before our minds with this. Sufficient intensity and duration. That we can drown out the Jezebels of the day. Listen, some Jezebels after you. We've got to drown them out to serve the Lord on His terms. And so that's one of the reasons that we have to retreat so we can hear God's voice. Something else I want you to hang on to is this. One of the benefits of having an off day is that retreat makes pressing on easier. I'm about to start preaching. It makes pressing on easier. This man, he was out. He was done. He wanted to die. So God meets him in a quiet place. Look at verse, I want you to look at verse 3. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, that belonged to Judah, so he's way down in the south, way out of his comfort zone, in a place that he never thought he would be. He left his servant there. And he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life. He wanted God to take his life because of one lady who wanted to take him off the map. But I want you to listen. We're not off the grid in ministry unless God says so. Amen? You're not out of the fight unless God says so. What's true about you is what God says about you. Not what the voices of Jezebel say about you. And so what did he find himself? Under a broom tree. What is a broom tree? It's actually a bush. It's a big old fluffy looking thing. I saw some snowball bushes out. They're already out, okay, causing havoc on all of our sinuses. 
But this broom tree, it was this big fluffy bush. It had multiple branches, and on every branch there was a cluster of leaves, and on every cluster of leaves there was a cluster of blossoms. This was a busy place to hide. It was a good place to retreat from the problems. You see what I'm saying? It was a busy place. It was a, it was a lot going on. So what did he do? He found something that was very busy. And he found himself there. At this point, he's all alone. And he just left his servant. And an angel touched him. And he said, you wake up. You wake up. Elijah wanted out. He said, you wake up because God wasn't done with Elijah yet. He was, he was still working. And in God's view, he was asleep at the wheel. That's one of the reasons that the boss don't like you to sleep in church. And the pastor sees you when you sleep in church. I didn't say that. Maybe I did. The reason is, there is more work to be done, right? Why, why, why is it when the boss gets there, you're like, look busy, look busy? Because the boss expects you to get things done. King Jesus has bled and died to give us purpose and to keep us moving. And so when we run and think we're done, God is in pursuit of us because he's still got work for us to do. But Elijah was asleep at the wheel. There's a pattern, though. We see caves, we see boom, uh, uh, broom trees. These are retreat places that God is using in Elijah's life to remind him, keep on going. Keep on going, Elijah. Don't you run from her. You're my boy. I know where you are. You keep on going. See, he, he had been responding to, to Jezebel's messenger, an earthly messenger. But God stepped in. He said, I'm going to give you my messenger. You're on the run, boy, because of something that her messenger has said. But I, I'm going to put an angel right here. He's going to prepare a hot meal for you. Get up. We got work to do. Stop being asleep at the wheel. It was God's turn to step in. It was God's turn to send a messenger. And God makes the first move in leading Elijah back to the path of faith that he had strayed. And praise God, God always makes the first move to get us where we need to go. That's what we see. And that's what retreat will do. It makes God's move clear. Y'all with me? You hear his voice in retreat and he makes your purpose clear. A simple act of, of silence and solitude before the Lord, what does it do? It can restore your excitement. It can get you fired up again. You let God whisper to you it doesn't matter what noises are out there. You know that the king of armies says, I got you. I prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Get up. You got work to do. You're not done with you yet. When you sit, sit back in retreat, you hear the deep call to the deep. And you get a touch from heaven and there's nothing you can't do. It's been said you can charge hell with a water pistol. If God leads you to it. If God leads you to it, he will lead you through it, church. But you find that type of excitement and that fresh flame. You're not going to find it online. I can promise you that. You're not going to find it from a like and a swipe. Where do you find it? You find it in a cave. Maybe in a living room. Maybe in your recliner. Maybe in your cave. Upstairs, downstairs. Maybe in the, You find it in the low whispers of God. And there's no better way to step back and get more balance, less worldly perspective on where your life is and where you need to be going than just a retreat. A daily retreat 
Because that's where you see God do his best work. When God told Zechariah that him and Elizabeth was going to have a baby, he didn't believe it. It's like, we're really old. He was fearful. And the scripture says that the Lord closed his mouth. Shut him up. He forced him into silence. And if you follow through that, follow through that Christmas story, it was after John was born that his lips were loose and he began to praise God. I'm going to tell you, the Lord will shut you down and sit you down in order for you to understand and hear his voice. But he didn't want to do that. He wants you to willingly call into the deep. Silence makes pressing on and serving God easier. It was when he realized in his silence what God was doing, that his wife was going to have a baby, that he was all on board. He was there because he, he had heard the voice of God. He could press on. He could press on when he simply just spent time in God's presence. That's the story of Billy Graham. Now, all of us have heard Billy Graham. We know that we know the... I mean, the greatest evangelist outside of Jesus, probably in America, he, reached, he preached the gospel in front of more people than anybody else has ever lived. Can you imagine having that on your resume? But in 1949, really before Billy Graham hit the, hit the ground running, before he gained all this notoriety, he was about to preach a revival, a crusade in Los Angeles, 1949. But at that time, there was no Billy Graham. Nobody knew who he was. The premier American evangelist in 1949 was a guy named Charles, I mean Chuck Templeton. And Chuck Templeton had gotten wrapped up with some guys that started denying the inerrancy of Scripture. They began to, the liberal theology to say, it's not all true and you can't completely put your full trust in it. There's a part of it that may be. But, and, and, and before long, Templeton left his faith completely. Well, before he left his faith, he and Billy Graham were about to preach this crusade together. Billy Graham was at a youth event, San Bernardino. And Templeton told Billy Graham, he said, if you continue to believe that the scripture is the inerrant word of God, you're going to commit intellectual suicide. You better get out while you can. And Billy was torn because he respected this guy. The story goes that Billy that night went back into his cabin got his Bible and he set it down on the table and he decided to go for a moonlight walk and he was walking and he was just contemplating, thinking about the things of God. And God brought to his mind all the places in God's word that he said, thus saith the Lord, the Lord of armies. The Lord has said, thus saith the Lord. And he began to think about that. He began to think about how even Jesus believed everything in the law and the prophets and never once said it wasn't true. And he began to think on, you know what, there's so many other things that I put my faith in. We all do. We put our faith in our cars. We put our faith in, we put our faith in planes. We put our faith in this roof. But why is it with spiritual things we don't want to apply our faith to that we try to out-reason ourselves? And this is what he began to pray and begin to think about. That he can have faith in God's word too. And so Billy Graham goes back into the cabin. He gets his Bible. He takes it outside. He lays it open on a stump. And he declares to the Lord, I believe it by faith. He went to that crusade 
And that's the Billy Graham that we know today. Where did he find that comfort? He didn't find it in the crowds. He found it in the retreat. It was in the silence where the deep was calling the deep that he experienced God. And he became the Billy Graham that we know today. The point I'm trying to make is this. That closing our mouth and guarding our ears to outside noise for a moment every day, it's going to open up your mind to what God would have you to do. God, yeah, you may say, God, what do you want me to do? He's like, just listen. <laughs> I'm not going to shout at you. I want to speak to you in the whisper to give you direction. Guys, write this down. Believers who make the most rapid, consistent, evident growth in Christ's likeness have been those who retreat daily with God to be alone. Don't you let your schedule rob you from retreat. Fight that fight. If there's a moment of silence, take it. Sit in it. We have to train ourselves to say no sometimes. More to our schedules. More on our plates. More with our kids. More at work. More and more and more. And here's why less is more. Because presence is at the heart of who we are as humans. Because presence is at the heart of our relationship with God. I'm going to close with this. Yes, presence is at the heart of who we are because it's at the heart of who God is. But sin messes that up. And this is the hallmark of life as we know it. It's been said, we long for the face of God, but we can't bear His gaze either. We want to be with Him, but then we don't want to be with Him. And so we hide from our true selves in busyness. Did y'all hear what I said? We hide from our true selves in busyness. And we hide from God in our schedules. We make our own broom bushes. And we just hide under those things. Because sin turns people of presence into the people of absence. That's what busyness will do. Praise God the Bible doesn't end there. Listen to this. Since humans first went into Eden away from the presence of God, God spent the rest of history tracking down His people. Amen. This is the story of God tracking down the people because He wants to be with them. That's, that's, that's what we see. First, He follows them in the desert. Then He follows them in the wilderness. Then He appears in a cloud of smoke. Then burning bushes. Then he finds them in the midnight dreams and then pillars of fire. Then he manifests his presence on a mountain and then a tabernacle and then a temple. You see this? The Israelites are known as God's people because of one thing. They had God's presence among them. But the Bible doesn't end there. God so wanted to be with us. Emmanuel, the lean on us God. That he sent his son, God in the flesh, to pursue us and love us through Jesus Christ in that same pursuit so God could be with man once again, forever, never to be separated. God is in pursuit of us. How did he do it? At his death and resurrection. At his death and resurrection, there's no presence without Pontius Pilate. 
There's no connection without the cross. And so by paying for our sins at Calvary and breaking the back in the resurrection, He cleared the path once and for all to have presence with our Creator and become the cornerstone of reality. It's been said this, in the kingdom to come, God will look at us and we will look back. And in His gaze, we'll find the destination and definition of our lives for all things. But here's the trick. We have to retreat. We've got to cut out the noise of our life because the more noise we let in our life, the less connected we are to the creator of it. And the less we are allowed to give our life to kingdom purposes. That's why the Christian presence is everything. That's the heart. Presence is everything. So what do we do? We discipline ourselves for retreat. That's it. We discipline ourselves to retreat because God is asking the question, why are you here? What are you doing out here? What are you doing? Right? Looking at your schedule, sitting in lines, waiting in lines. What are you doing? Deep calls into the deep. Let's stand together. Yeah, that story in 1 Kings was powerful. Let me tell you how it ends. Elijah gets up. And God gives him marching orders. It wasn't anything groundbreaking. It wasn't anything brand new. He simply said, just go back and do what you should have been doing all along. This is what he says to him. He says, then the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you leave here, just keep doing what you're doing. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Love God and love people. God has put a purpose on your heart. Go do that. Uh, he knows where He is. God knows where you are. When you arrive, you are to anoint Haziel over king of Aram. He was going to do that anyway. You are to anoint Jehu as king over Israel and Elisha son of Saphat from Abel Molah as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Haziel. God is telling Elijah, I got this. Just do what you're supposed to be doing. Live out your purpose. And don't worry about the noise. Stop worrying about what might happen. And I will let 7,000 in Israel every knee that has not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. And Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. He's like, I got you on level one. I got you on level two. I know where you are. Get up. And go live life for my purposes. And that's my challenge to us. Meet him in the silence. Stop running from the Jezebels because of business and activity. And trust in the living God. Let's pray together. You were faithful. God, you were faithful to follow. Lord, my mind just can't leave this, this truth of 
how easy it is for us to find ourselves right here under the broom bush, Lord, running for the things in our lives that really don't matter when it's, it, it's in comparison to your goodness over our lives. So, Lord, I pray for that person that is running from the Jezebels of this world, that you would calm them in the whisper and you would let them know, son and daughter, I know where you are. I've got you. Get up from this place. Don't worry about tomorrow. I'm at your tomorrow already. Just live for me today, Lord. God, I pray you would give them power in those things for us as we turn our eyes toward Easter. God, thank you, Lord, that it's a picture of your active pursuit of us. And as for me and my house, I'll say thank you for pursuing us, for loving us, for never giving up on us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.